There are differences, but they, they may not be substantial relative to the Australian side and the, the ability to get a credit effectively all the way up to the ultimate owner. You are listening to US Tax, a podcast for Australian accountants with US clients. Welcome to Update 12 of US Tax. This is Heide Robson. Let's talk with Brian Kelly or Wilkie Gallagher in Los Angeles about the structure where an Australian trust directly holds an interest in an LLC. Would that avoid tax leakage that you usually have upon distribution from a company? Here's the original US 12. The US tax system, much like the, the Australian tax system, levies tax both on corporations and on non-corporate taxpayers. Outside of some limited exceptions, we don't have an imputation system. So if you carry on a business through a what we call a C corporation, there are two levels of tax, once at the corporate level and once at the shareholder level when profits are distributed. The alternative, well, let me add one point, where you do business through a tiered corporate structure, unless the corporation unless the parent corporation owns at least 80%, say, of the subsidiary corporation, there is not a complete dividends received deduction for distributions made from the subsidiary corporation up to the parent corporation. So you can create a structure with multiple levels of tax. In practice, we see that very rarely. Things that are structured at or below the, the corporate level are generally done with efficiency in mind. So you you would see corporate structures set up such that the corporate group could file on a consolidated basis for federal tax purposes and avoid the multiple layers of, of tax. That will have some relevance to some things we talk about later, but just wanted to mention that. The alternative to conducting business through a corporate structure would be to use a non-corporate entity like a limited liability company. A limited liability company can elect to be classified as a corporation, but if it does not do that, then it's, it's treated as a disregarded or, or branch operation of its owner, if it has a single owner, or if it has two or more owners treated as a, a partnership for US tax purposes. And in that paradigm, there generally is no entity level tax, either at the federal level or in most states with some exceptions. and the owners are currently taxable on the profits of the entity as they're earned. The other point I want to mention just for sake of completeness, because I know we'll, we'll get into this a bit, is that you could conduct business through a trust in the US. This is not typically done, but we do sometimes see trusts used for, for certain types of transactions. I think Massachusetts Business Trust and Delaware Statutory Trusts are, are out there. And we see them when we have interactions with other jurisdictions like Australia. And in terms of how trusts are taxed, there's a bit of a fork in the road. If a trust is what is termed an ordinary trust, it's taxed at individual rates with some modifications effectively a non-corporate taxpayer. If a trust is what is termed a business or investment trust, it is 
it would default as a corporation, but in some cases it may be possible to elect to treat it as other than a corporation for tax purposes. And that the treatment of a, a trust as either an ordinary trust on the one hand or as a business or investment trust on the other hand is somewhat of a gray area because it, it's governed mainly by old case law. And the, the concept that or the, the points that they look to in determining which side of the, the fence you're on there are you know, how much power does the trustee have to use the assets to operate a, a business? Or if holding investments, the power to vary those investments. If the trustee is in a, a passive, more protective role, just protecting the assets, that would, would lead to a, a an ordinary trust treatment. Similarly, in order to have a business trust, your Beneficiaries need to be treated, the term that they use in the old cases is like associates, like people who have joined together to conduct an enterprise as opposed to passive beneficiaries who have just received something, as you might see in, in the, the family and estate planning context. And, and so it helps for, for a trustee to have bought into the trust, to have received certificated units, to have some ability to manage the the business or to control the management activities of the trustee. So that's those are that's a sort of an overview of the building blocks on the, the US side. And, and I'll pause there in case you happen to have any questions. So based on what you just said, basically never stack C corps above each other unless you hold 80% all the way through. If you don't hold 80% all the way through, go for an LLC because then you avoid the double taxation. The question I have is, how are the shareholders of the LLC taxed? If the shareholders of the LLC are individuals, I assume that they are taxed at individual rates. If the shareholders of an LLC are a C-Corp, I assume that that income is taxed like any other C-Corp income. If the shareholders of an LLC are an overseas entity, How is the overseas entity then taxed? Does it also fall into the buckets of either being an individual or being a company or being a trust? And hence, I'm aiming at this structure where an Australian trust holds an LLC interest. Would the Australian trust then be taxed in the US on this LLC income as a trust or in some other shape or form? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And that's a good question. It is correct that the owners of the LLC are subject to tax based on what their classification is for U.S. tax purposes. And, and that's true whether you're talking about domestic owners or, or foreign owners. So when you have a, a foreign owner of an LLC, you have to answer the question, how is that owner classified for U.S. tax purposes? And in the world of Australian trusts, uh, I am not an Australian tax lawyer, but I know enough to sort of hum the tune on this. I've seen both discretionary trusts and unit trusts. And discretionary trusts typically don't have the indicia that we would look for, such as the trustee may have the powers that we would look for to run a business because that's easy to build in, but it typically wouldn't have the associates requirement that I mentioned before. So we, we've had difficulty sometimes getting comfortable that a discretionary trust would be 
a business trust that could elect to be classified either as a, a corporation or as a, as a pass-through entity. A unit trust, on the other hand, we have gotten comfortable probably is a business trust, and you could make an election to, to treat that either as a corporation or, or as a pass-through entity for U.S. tax purposes. If a trust is not classified as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes, non-corporate individual rates would apply. As I mentioned earlier, trusts generally are taxed at ordinary, uh, at individual rates, I should say, subject to, to some differences. And just for the sake of completeness, the main difference is that individuals are taxed at graduated rates, starting out relatively low and topping out today at 37%. The trust rate structure is compressed. So income that's received by a trust gets to the 37% rate bracket much faster than for an individual, but for from all other angles that their taxation is very similar. And when it's held by a trust that qualifies as a business or investment trust, then I assume the tax rates are much lower. If it's a business trust that's that has elected to be taxed as a corporation or that we get comfortable is treated by default as a, as a corporation, then it's it would 21%. be subject to corporate... Right. It's subject to, to 21% and potentially some branch profits tax, which we'll, we'll talk about in due course. When you own an LLC interest through a trust, hence everybody would want their Australian trust to qualify as a business or investment trust, hence to only pay 21% federal tax in the US. But there's a high likelihood that you wouldn't qualify as a business or investment trust and hence would be taxed at individual tax rates of up to 37%. I assume that the tax rates for the trust don't include any Australian income the trust might have, that it's only based on the US sourced income, correct? Correct. Then the trick would be would be crediting that, ha having a foreign income tax offset on the on the Australian side. So if they pay 21% tax in the US, they get a FITO of 21%. And if they pay 37%, they get a higher FITO. So it doesn't seem to be such a big deal, whether it's one or the other. One point to keep in mind there is that 37% is the top federal rate. State tax may apply also. And as a result of changes made to our tax laws in 2017, for non-corporate taxpayers, including trusts, state tax is largely non-deductible, which means that if you're operating a business, much of the income of which is, is apportioned to high-tax states like California or New York, you can wind up with an effective tax rate that pushes up towards 50%. So, And I know on your side, the individual rate tops out at 47%. So you could wind up with a little bit of leakage. In theory, you could wind up. And in fact, I think I've seen that at least once where we had a, a business that was operating within the state, primarily within California. So their effective US tax rate was going to be 50.3%, 37 with the, the top California rate of 13.3 on top of that. So they were looking at a little bit of leakage because they could get a full foreign income tax offset, but only for the, the 47%. My caveat on that was that there, because 
non-corporate taxpayers are now largely precluded from deducting state tax, the combined federal and state tax rate can be quite high depending upon where business income is apportioned to. And, and for instance, if it's all apportioned to California, you can hit a top rate of 13.3%. So your, your total US tax effective rate could be as high as 50.3%, which is not substantially higher than 47%, but it's a few extra percentage points of, of leakage. So non-corporate entities in the US can't tax deduct state taxes? They can deduct them today only up to an amount of $10,000. That's an, a major disadvantage of using anything but a C-Corp, correct? And so an LLC that elects to be a see-through entity would count as a non-corporate entity and hence can't tax deduct the state taxes, correct? Right. Well, an LLC that, that's not taxed as a corporation wouldn't pay tax. It would it would pass through the income to its owners who would then pay tax. And if the owners are corporations, then they would be taxed as such. If, if they're non-corporate entities, the same. And, and so non-corporate owners of an LLC that's taxed as, say, a partnership would have this issue. And this is an issue that's only existed since the, our, our last major tax reform in 2017 and, and is a little bit of a hot button political issue because taxpayers in high tax states are pushing hard for our next tax reform bill, which may come through before the end of the year to include either a repeal of that limit or a significant increase in the ceiling. Yes. And so the look through for the LLC also applies to the states, state taxes, correct? So you have a look through not just for federal taxes, but also for state taxes. It applies for most states. And it is the case that some states will levy some amount of entity level tax on an LLC. For instance, California levies a, a gross receipts tax on an LLC. It's, it's relatively minimal. I think it tops out at about $12,000 a, a year. But there are some state and local taxes that you just have to watch out for. So that means our Australian trust that holds an LLC interest would pay 37% individual tax, federal tax, and then also would pay state taxes and would not receive a tax deduction for those take state taxes for federal purposes, apart from the limit of $10,000. Correct. If that trust is not classified as a corporation for US tax purposes, that's correct. And, the, you know, there's We've done some planning in the past that involved planning into a, a structure where we could get comfortable treating the trusts as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes, uh, in part for the reasons we just discussed. I see. And is it possible to get to a corporate trust, to an investment trust or a business trust through a corporate trustee? So if we have a discretionary trust in Australia with a corporate trustee, I assume that the fact that it has a corporate trustee has no weight in the decision of whether it's a business trust or not, correct? Or does it? You're right. It doesn't. It's really, it, it really revolves are. around, yeah, it, it really revolves around what's in the trust instrument, it, what powers the, the trustee does have under the, the trust instrument and who, who the beneficiaries are and what their roles are, whether they're, they're very passive or whether they're more active in, in the business and could be said to have joined together for, for purposes of, of carrying on the business activity. 
Okay, good. But if you have a small business discretionary trust in Australia where the beneficiaries also run the business and hold, yeah, and, and are heavily involved in the business of the LLC as well, you most likely end up with an individual trust. Right. And, and my, my anecdotal experience specifically has been that it's, it's a challenge to avoid that if you're working with a discretionary trust, but with a unit trust, uh, you might get a different outcome. Okay, good. So that means go for unit trust. Yeah. And I think what I've seen folks do in the past is put a discretionary trust above a unit trust. And I, I can't tell you off the top of my head exactly what the benefit was to, to that, but I have been advised by folks on, on your end that the advantage of the discretionary trust is that it is there's more flexibility in terms of how profits are shared. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you can maybe have the best of both worlds in a, a tiered structure. Okay. So have the discretionary trust hold 100% of a unit trust, and then that unit trust holds the LLC interest in the states to qualify as a business trust. And then that would mean they pay 21% federal tax, they pay state taxes, but then they should get a tax deduction for the state taxes in the US, but they wouldn't receive a FITO for any state taxes in the US, I think, correct? Yeah, with, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's right. I, it's, while I can't say for, for certain that's consistent with, with what I've heard from other Australian advisors. You're looking at some form of double taxation with respect to the state taxes. Yeah, I think that, I think that's true. But at least you would get a tax deduction, I would think, in Australia for the state taxes you pay. I can imagine if you don't get a fighter for the state taxes, at least you can tax deduct them as an, as an expense from the uh, business profits you make through the LLC. Right. I think that's generally true. Again, one point that I've seen come up on the Australian side is that while LLCs are generally taxed as pass-throughs from an Australian perspective, there are certain fact patterns where that is not true. For instance, if the LLC, I understand, is managed and controlled in Australia, then it may be treated as opaque. Or if I were to elect to classify that LLC as a corporation for US tax purposes, and it becomes a taxpayer here, a separate taxpayer here that pays its own taxes, again, it may not be passed through from an Australian perspective. And my understanding is that in that case, you may not get a foreign income tax offset because it may not be clear that the income that passes through from a U.S. tax perspective is the same income that you are receiving when you act, get an actual distribution of, of profits on the Australian side. So I think that's, that, that's one point of tension that I've seen come up occasionally. Let's say the LLC makes $100 of profit and these $100 of profit are attributable to the Australian interest. Then it pays 21% of federal tax. Then let's say it pays 9% of state taxes. So that means $70 are available for distribution and are paid to Australia. And let's just assume that the US dollar equals the Australian dollar and it's all one currency. So 70 
dollars arrive in Australia, then in the trust's hands and is distributed to an individual. So that $70 is then accessible income. It receives a foreign tax offset for $21. Hence, we don't have $70. We have $91 to as accessible income. And then we have whatever $91 is. Let me just very quickly calculate that. Let's assume the um, it's $42, $42.77 that we uh, pay less the $21 of federal tax. So we still have a top-up tax of $21.77. So that means we only pay our marginal tax rate of 47%, but plus the estate taxes we we paid that we didn't get a FITO for, but at least we got a tax deduction for. Does that example sound... That, that sounds directionally right to me. The, um, the variant that I have seen crop up occasionally is where the LLC, may, the LLC may not be treated as a pass-through. Because from a US perspective, in the example you just mentioned, the tax doesn't get paid by the LLC. The LLC reports the income to the US Internal Revenue Service, and then they send a statement, a K-1, to the Australian Trust, telling the Australian Trust what its share is. The Australian Trust itself then has to prepare a US federal income tax return where it reports its share of the income and pays the tax on that. Do you know which form that is? If the trust is a, a is classified as a as a corporation, it would be an eleven twenty F. And if it's classified as an individual, if it's classified as as non corporate, is it then just a normal ten forty? No, it wouldn't be a normal ten forty because it's a foreign entity, correct? It, it wouldn't. I believe I, I believe the return that we would probably use for that would be a ten forty NR. It's I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's either you would either prepare that return, and I'm assuming that the, that that foreign trust is not a grantor trust, in which case you know returns would be prepared at, at the beneficiary level. But assume, assuming that to be the case, uh, I'm going to say it would either be done on a 1040 NR or on a 1041. I, I would have to uh, I, I would have to check, but it's going to be one yes. of those two forms. If the trust qualifies as a business trust because we have a unit trust holding the LLC interest, then it would be an 1120F. You just mentioned the beneficiaries. Is there any risk that the beneficiaries are dragged into this or will the trust count as an entity in itself and will shield basically block the beneficiaries from being dragged into the US tax system? So I, I do understand that the, the trust does provide limited liability to its beneficiaries so that they shouldn't become personally liable for its obligations. And I expect yes. that the U.S. tax authorities would respect, respect that. that. Yeah, I think I, could, I, I was considering whether I would further qualify that, but I think that that's a reasonable statement. Okay, good. So that means if we set up a trust that holds the LLC interest and there's nothing else in the trust apart from this LLC interest, and then if we structure it through a unit trust and then a discretionary trust, we should be able to protect the beneficiaries from the US system. And at the same time, we should be able to limit double taxation to the state taxes that 
the um, trust has to pay in the US, but the state taxes at least are tax deductible, both in the US and in Australia, given, you know, assuming that it qualifies as a business trust. Right. The, the one other point that I would add there is that in fact patterns like that, we would typically make an election to classify that unit trust as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes. The, the, tr the unit trust may itself actually be treated as a corporation by default, but it, it's not unusual to make what people would term a protective election. Yeah, in which form is the protective election? And that would be done on an 8832. Branch profit tax. What is this branch profit tax that I have never heard <laughs> before until we just spoke? So the U.S. Treasury back in the 80s kind of focused in on the fact that there was disparity between a foreign corporation that conducted business in the United States through a domestic subsidiary versus a foreign corporation that conducted business directly through a branch. Both In both cases, corporate income tax would be paid in the first instance by the U.S. subsidiary, in the second instance by the, the foreign company directly engaged through a, a branch. But in the first case, there is the potential for dividend withholding tax on a distribution of profits by that sub up to the parent. In the second case, there was no analog, so they created one. They created what they they term the branch profits tax. And there are some other branch taxes that go along with that, but they, the, the complexity is is mind-boggling, so I'll leave that to the side. The, the, the main branch tax that people run into and, and need to plan for is the branch profits tax. And the way to think of it is it's very similar to the withholding tax that would have applied to a dividend if the profit had been earned through a domestic subsidiary and distributed up to uh, a parent. And the domestic withholding rate is the same. It's, it's 30% domestic. There are a couple of important differences, though. One of those is that the branch profits framework is complex. So with a corporate sub that makes a dividend distribution, you know exactly when you've triggered a withholding tax because it's triggered by the distribution that you caused to be made. The analog to that in the branch profits tax is a series of complicated rules that tries to look at when profits are no longer being plowed back into the business. So it's possible to trigger branch profits tax without actually having a, a formal extraction of cash from the operating business or a distribution out of the, of the foreign entity. So just because of the complexity, people tend to like to avoid a, a structure that involves the uh, managing the branch profits tax, I would say. The other important difference is that it is treated differently under many of our treaties. Some treaties don't specifically address the branch profits tax, and it can be complicated to figure out uh, whether you're entitled to a, a treaty reduction. The treaty between the United States and Australia, as a result of a, of a protocol that was uh, entered into back in 2001, does specifically address and permit the branch profits tax, but it does limit the, or I should say, the, the reduction in the rate uh, 
how would I put it? it? It is not possible to eliminate the branch profits tax under the US-Australia treaty unless the recipient is a public company or an affiliate of a public company. If a recipient is not in one of those two categories, the treaty does reduce the branch tax, but only to 5%. So you can have some incremental tax leakage relative to a structure in which the operations are carried on through a C corporation subsidiary. Just to start with withholding tax, based on the DTA between the US and Australia, withholding tax is reduced from 30% to 15% if you hold less than 10%. It is 5% if you hold 10 to just under 80%. And it's 0% if you hold more than 80%. If you hold a US C Corp and you have more than 80% of the C Corp, your withholding tax is zero. If you hold more than 80% of a branch, I mean a branch by definition is 100%, then there is no need to mirror a withholding tax because the C-Corp wouldn't pay a withholding tax, hence the 100% branch shouldn't pay a withholding tax either. So that's why I'm surprised that the branch profit tax can only be reduced through the DTA down to 5% and not to 0% because that then clearly disadvantages businesses that go through a branch and not through a C-Corp. Yes, there is a disparity. And the, the one other wrinkle there is that the the treaty rates that you just mentioned, the 5% rate and the 0% rate for the dividend withholding, I think uh, your your recipient is required to be a company in order to, to achieve those those rates. So if you have a Correct. non a non-corporate taxpayer, then you you can't get below the, the 15% rate. If you have a non-corporate taxpayer, you also aren't exposed to the branch profits tax because that's only applicable to to taxpayers that are, are classified as corporations for U.S. tax purposes. But what you say is generally correct. It, it's uh, There's a little bit of a disparity between how those two are treated under the treaty. And your guess is as good as mine as to what was exchanged between the two treaty negotiation teams that wound them up in, in that spot. And it's, you, you know, tax treaties sometimes do have curious things in them like that. And, and that's just one. That makes it less advantageous to hold the LLC directly through a trust because you have this profit tax. Do you know if the DTA allows a FITO? Um, although the DTA wouldn't address the issue of a FITO, do you know if Australia allows a FITO for the profit tax, for the branch profit tax, given that it is meant to be like a dividend withholding tax? I don't think I, I've specifically dealt with that question before, but if it's a if it's a federal income tax that's levied on the Australian taxpayer directly, which the branch profits tax is, I would be. hope that it would be eligible for a FIDO. Good. Okay. So that means we are back into the seat because it means, yes, we might pay 5% branch profit tax, but we are getting a FITO, hence we are all right. So that means the only double taxation, again, is just the state taxes we pay, but at least we get a tax deduction for those. So everything you've told me so far, it still looks advantageous to hold the LLC through a unit trust and then a discretionary trust in Australia. 
yeah, I think that the two caveats, I, I think it's a structure that can work in the right fact pattern. I think the two caveats are the point that I mentioned earlier on the Australian side about the LLC and the LLC potentially being treated as opaque if you have the wrong fact pattern. And then secondarily, there are different considerations on an exit if you use a trust over an LLC as opposed to the, the C-Corp structure. Yes, that's a very good point. And let's come to the um, exit in a second. I just want to come back to the opaque because I actually, I misunderstood it and I didn't realize that it was opaque. So I just wrote it down and didn't understand what you meant. But so opaque basically means it's no longer look through. It's tr The LLC is treated as a company and no longer as a look through because it's opaque. Right. And, and the concern, as, as it's been expressed to me by Australian advisors, is that if you fall into one of these fact patterns where the LLC is opaque, then that characterization has no impact on our characterization on the U.S. side. So the U.S. still sees it as a, a flow through and will currently levy tax on its Australian owner. The distribution of profits may or may not happen during that year. And even if it does happen in the same year, as I've been told, it may not be 100% clear that those are the same profits that were subject to the U.S. tax. I, I guess another way to put it is that if they view it as corporate, you might, in the worst case, wind up back in the same situation that you had with the 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 actual -corp. corporation right it, except that you would have on top of that potentially a timing issue because the the, the tax would actually and and a a I, I guess i say a timing issue and i i really mean a phantom income issue because you, you may have um, tax liability that needs to be paid by the australian owner when the cash hasn't flowed out to the australian owner yet Okay, so is the problem, is it a timing problem in terms of that you tend to only get a FITO for the tax you pay in the year? And so when the um, profits haven't been distributed in that year, you tend to have a FITO, but not the profit, not the income that matches that profit. Is that the issue? That might be part of it. I think the, the other comment that's been made to me and I, I can't say for sure, not, not being an Australian advisor, but the, the other comment that has been made to me is that when the distribution is actually made and that triggers the potential for, for tax at the, the level of the Australian owner, that the ATO may view that distribution as income other than the income on which the original tax was, was levied. The, the U.S. tax was levied, and in that case, a FIDO might not be available. I I can't vouch for that 100%, but I've heard that concern raised. Coming back to the U.S. side, so the main question is basically whether the unit trust qualifies as an investment trust or not. That's really the main issue on the U.S. side, correct? Yeah, I think that's that's the main issue on the U.S. side. And, and for the sake of completeness, I would, I would mention two, two other points. One of them is a practical point, which is when you have a flow-through entity and the tax from a U.S. perspective, and the tax is really being paid at the owner level, that 
a lot of times, if that's going to be the case, then that flow through entity does need to make some cash distributions up to the owner to cover the, the taxes. And that is sometimes antithetical to what the founders are trying to achieve. If you're, if you're working with an early stage business, they may want very much to keep the cash in the company rather than to have to make tax distributions. So that's, that's one consideration that comes up. The other consideration that I would mention for the sake of completeness is that in theory, operating through a disregarded entity or branch should get you to the same result as operating through a C corporation. Some advisors do worry that your audit risk is higher in the branch structure. It's, and there are some practical issues that can crop up when you're operating through a pure branch, which we'll, we'll get to. Uh, I, I have never personally been involved in a branch-related audit, so I can't say that I've seen that play out in, in real life, but that is a concern that is sometimes raised with the branch structure. It, typically, if you talk to a U.S. advisor, the, the first things they'll say are, well, your audit risk might be a little bit higher and you really have to watch out for the branch profits tax because it's complicated. Th those are the things that, that are out there. And putting the branch profit tax aside, the tax outcome in the U.S. for the business within a C-Corp and the business in an LLC is the same. They both pay 21% tax, assuming that the shareholder qualifies as a corporate structure. The problem is really what happens in Australia. That's really where the music is, whether you receive a FITO for the US tax you pay and whether you receive a FITO all the way through. Because usually all the shareholders receive a FITO, but then the question is, does the FITO feed through to the ultimate owners? And with a lot of those structures, they don't. And that's really where the music is, I think, as far as I can see. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's fair. There, there, there are differences, but they, they may not be substantial relative to what you're talking about on the Australian side and the, the ability to sort of get a, a credit effectively all the way up to the ultimate owners. Is it easier to employ people in the US if you're a company than an LLC or does it really not make any difference? In my experience, it doesn't make a difference vis-a-vis -vis employees. There's a prob probably more difficult if you operate through a pure branch and you're trying to hire employees directly via uh, an Australian unit trust. That may be more complicated. The, the other point that I would make is it's not so much the, the employees as it is the customers. And this depends a little bit on what the, the companies or the, the business's relationship with, his, with its customers are and what the payment mechanism is. If U.S. customers are paying the company directly rather than through some sort of outside payment processor, then it matters to the customer who they're paying. And in particular, if they're, if they're making a payment, if a U.S. customer is making a payment to another U.S. person that can provide them with a certification of that status, that's relatively straightforward for them. And that would be done on an IRS form W-9. If you're receiving, if you, the customer, are making a payment to a disregarded LLC that's owned by a foreign person, I suspect you probably need to provide, rather than a W-9, uh, the appropriate form W-8. There's a whole family of them. 
which certifies your status as a non-US person and provides certain other information to your customer based on which they have to decide whether or not they have a withholding obligation. Some customers do not like that. They, they're, it's very easy for them to get a W-9 and make a payment, but if they get a W-8 instead, they don't know quite what to do with that. And their first instinct may be to find another service provider to work with or to call you up and say, why can't you just give me a W-9? So that, that's a, an issue that you may run into with the LLC structure. Oh, really? So the LLC structure basically counts as a branch. When the shareholder is a foreign entity, it basically counts like a branch. And hence, it doesn't get a W-9, it gets a W-8 or issues a W-8. Right. Yeah. That's And, and for some customers, or, or depending upon how the business interfaces, maybe it's no problem. But in other cases, it, it could be you know a competitive disadvantage. So it's just something that, that the business folks have to think about. So the LLC doesn't count as a as a as a US entity when the shareholders are overseas entities in a way. Right, right. If it's if it's a single owner, one caveat though actually if it's a if the LLC has multiple owners and it's it's classified as a partnership for for US tax purposes, I believe it could provide a W9. Of course, the corollary to that is that it also has to file U.S. tax returns. It also has to file a, a 1065 every year. And if it has foreign partners, it has to deal with the complexity of U.S. partnerships having foreign partners. But at least you have upstreamed that and you're dealing with it in-house rather than handing a, a W-8 to your customers. How high does the U.S. interest have to be in the LLC to be able to issue a W-9? That's a good question. There's always a question around if you were to add a second owner, how much of an interest in the capital and profits of that entity does that second owner have to have in order to be counted as a partner of, of the partnership and, and create a multi-member entity? I've seen people get comfortable with fairly small ownership interests, you know, less than 1%. So you might have somebody at 0.1% or 0.5% percent being treated as an owner for, for federal tax purposes. And I, I think you can, um, there probably is a, a threshold blow which, which comfort starts to ebb if the classification of the entity matters. But in an internal structure, it should be possible to engineer that and, and get to a place where it works well and isn't creating too much leakage, but we're comfortable with the, with the results. Welcome back. In the next update, US 13, Marsha Dangok of Withers Worldwide in San Francisco will talk about the tax treatment of Australian SMSFs in US tax returns. That is the topic for next time. Bye for now and see you in the next update. Bye.